Welcome to Talking About Midlife, where we talk about life living in a female body in our midlife. We talk about health, love, relationships, our inner world, aging, death, motherhood, and what it means to be a human at this time in the world. I am Kelly Sterling, and I hope you enjoyed listening to these stories that I'm sharing. everyone. Today I'm here with my great friend and colleague Belinda Hahn and Belinda is from the Motherhood Gathering and her her stick in life, I really love it, is to support women through the journey of creating their inner mother and there's a word for it. It's called matrescence so it's like adolescence but it's actually matrescence and I think this is really important work because It's a huge growth transition and it's not something that's talked about very much. It's kind of one of those implicit assumed things that people think that we'll just work it all out. But if it's not talked about, how do we know that the feelings that we're feeling are okay? How do we know that the changes that we feel in our body are okay? I think we're possibly looking at it through the lens of an older model where we had more community support when we had babies. Anyway, welcome, Belinda. Thank you. It's so amazing to talk to you (laughs) and be here. So before we get started, would you be okay just to tell everyone a little bit about you and what led you to your journey of this work and what's been your own experience? Yeah, wow, where do I, how long have you got? (laughs) (laughs) So as you know, I used to be a, I used to be working in the corporate world, both internally um, in large organisations and then externally as an executive coach and leadership facilitator. So I was doing that for about 10 years and then I turned 40 and I remember writing an article about how, you know, there's no midlife crisis happening for me because I've already had 5,000 leading up to <laughs> turning 40. But, you know, maybe my, my premature smarminess was, a, was a, a great little nod from the universe saying, this girl, she needs a bit of unravelling. And so I did. So I had a, a midlife unravelling, as um, Brene Brown talks about, and really just asking myself all of those existential questions that Google can't answer, like who am I now and what, how do I want to live this next half of my life and hopefully longer? And so had a bit of a dark night of the soul, really exploring, you know, and seeing, I guess, what wasn't working anymore for me. And I was really, I loved the corporate career until I didn't love it anymore. Yeah. And I just felt a, a strong push to my heart actually and through that exploration um, at the same time my sister had her first baby and and seeing her journey really just took me back 10 years to my own motherhood journey and brought back probably all the trauma that um, that I that I went through in terms of just being so shocked and so unprepared and really judging myself 
against the Huggies ad because that's what I thought motherhood was going to be like. Yeah. And uh, and so through Haley's journey and also through different conversations and I went to the New York Motherhood Centre, I was fortunate enough to meet Catherine Burndoff there. Mm-hmm. It was really clear to me that my purpose is to support motherhood and to really help with that early transition in particular mm-hmm. um, from woman to mother. And so that, that sort of started a bit of a crusade for me in learning motherhood studies and um, starting a, a mentoring relationship with Dr. Oralee Athen, who is the woman that revived this matrescence uh, concept. It was originally in 1973 by Dana Ralph. So she, she introduced it in 1973, but no one really paid attention because at the time the well-being of a mother was really only cared about or people were only interested in it as it was as it related to the well-being of the child so you know how is the mother basically positively or negatively impacting the child not the mother in her own right and so yeah so that just so I've been learning for the last couple of years all about motherhood and matrescence and just feel so uh, lucky and honoured to be having uh, orally as my mentor and yeah so that's that's sort of um the a little bit of the journey but then I when I came back from the New York Motherhood Centre which was in 2018 I just thought what can I do you know what's one step forward that I can take and so I just did an event right and um put out a mother's group um listing there and it was really I my my I'd read the art of gathering I don't know whether you have heard of that book but that was the inspiration, I guess, for the, the um, brand, the motherhood gathering. And so with, with that, I just had a clear purpose that this mother's group was going to be different. It was only going to focus on the mother's journey. So I, I made a clear rule at the beginning that we're not talking about the baby. We're only talking about you for 90 minutes a week. That's, you know, that can be your boundary around let's just ask how you are. Mm-hmm. And so I started with that and then it's just evolved into, you know, I do um, traditional women's circles as well, which is just this gorgeous sacred offering of, you know, deep listening and deep connection to how we, we are. And mm. I guess through the gatherings in the circle, I've really seen the power of women gathering together with a sort of common purpose about navigating motherhood yeah. and the power of having deep conversations you know the the countercultural conversations about you know what's actually unfolding for you at the moment which might not it might be joy and it also might be despair and everything is welcome mm. what does like how would you define matrescence how does Aurelia often describe it what's the sort of dictionary term of it yeah well she she talks about it as being both oppressive and liberating in nature and I think that's just such a great, great way to describe it because, you know, and yet very few people talk about the oppressive side of, of motherhood. Yeah. And she also talks about matrescence being very similar in terms of um, the attributes of adolescence. So she, she talks about, you know, the, the core domains of matrescence being biological, psychological, social, political and spiritual. Yeah. So she she talks about it in that way, and I just think that the her model and her way of describing it is in itself liberating, because 
it can be so confusing when people enter, when women enter motherhood because they nothing really can can, can prepare <laughs> prepare you for what what happens but when you understand when you've got a conceptual framework to say this is what is really normal <laughs> and it's you know it's confusing and you can feel really like you're in sometimes in the, the darkness you know yeah. and and with out having a framework or an understanding about what this rite of passage actually involves, then what can happen is you can internalise that maybe because you're having challenges or because it's not like the Huggies ad that there's something wrong with you. Yes. So I think that motherhood, and this was certainly my experience, early motherhood provides this wonderful container for shame to grow. Yes, absolutely. Because if you, if you are not meeting your own expectations or society's expectations about what is an excellent mother or what the feelings of motherhood are, which is, you know, we might believe that it's happy, joyful, all the sort of lighter emotions. So if we don't know that, that anger and sadness and despair are also part of the motherhood journey, mm. then we can start to think there's something wrong with me. Yeah, and especially because those emotions are not something in the Western world that we get encouraged to do mm. with women. And even when we think about femininity, like that's definitely, you know, we can, there's a, a feminine anger and, you know, we come in all shapes and sizes and our emotions are very valid. And I think, you know, we get messages from when we're two years old. Like your tantrum's not acceptable when mm. just a toddler's actually they're genius. They're shaking the anger out of them, which is physically excellent. Uh, we can all learn from them. But when you get that messaging from a very young age, we disconnect and fragment from it. And so to be angry as a mother about your situation and where you find yourself and because there's, that is something that we don't talk about. Like, why doesn't anyone understand what I'm going through? Why don't I understand what I'm going through? Why am I feeling this? Should I be feeling this? And yet if you know that it is quite common and it's okay to talk about it, this is a huge weight lifted, isn't it? Mm, yes, and I, I think that there's there's few, well, there was no voices when I was in motherhood, in entering motherhood, I think there's a lot more voices now that are being truthful about the full experience. But I think that what can happen is that we can make meaning of experiencing difficulty yeah. and, and, and believe that difficulty means that I'm not strong enough or, you know, other people seem to have it sorted and I don't. And, you know, that can be really painful. And, and also I think we can also believe that because I'm feeling anger or sadness or anxiety that there's something wrong with me, something wrong with my experience and maybe I don't love, like we, we can't, it's very difficult to hold the fact that we can love our baby and child and at the same time sometimes hate being a mother. Mm. We can hold those two together and that's that sort of psychological complexity is 
really hard to work with. But I think that the more people talk about, you know, of course, some days you absolutely would love to be single <laughs> again without children, you know, because you've been up all night with screaming babies. and all, Like I used to dream about escaping to some island somewhere yes. for a week. Yes. I was like, three days. Can I just go for three days? That would be great. Yes. I used to dream about going on a long haul flight to London and not getting off the plane, just literally <laughs> going there and returning. <laughs> yeah, because you're so tired. The tiredness is just phenomenal. Mm. And I remember when I had my first son, the place where I worked, they were very caring and they sent us off on a course for new mums that they were piloting. And there was about six of us. And basically the woman, what she talked about is the transition back to work and then we had to network. We had to oh, gosh. And I was like, I don't want to be like a bloke. Yes, the masculine, I, I, the masculine sort of, way of dealing yeah, with motherhood. I, I, I kind of sort of sat with it and I was like, okay, well, I'll just sit with it. And I remember going back to work and, my boss, who was a male, was lovely. He said, what did you think? And I went, yeah, it was okay. And he said, did you learn anything? And I went, mm, can we talk about it when I come back to work as to how useful it is? Because I find myself navigating unknown waters. So I'm just taking it as a perspective at, at this point in time. And I, I really need to see what unfolds in the next 12 months, basically. Because you have no idea what is going to happen, how you're going to be, you know, physically how you will recover. Um, and, yeah, then going through that and then coming back to work and then having another one. And I was like, no, nah, they've just got this all wrong. They're just treating us like little blokes. And mm. talking about, you know, these feelings and why is, why, yeah, why is there so much unspoken stuff? Like why... And just because I'm naturally curious and like to call out things and you know even that was 15 years ago and not much has changed or it's starting mm. to change with people like you and I doing this work and then when it comes to relationships and sexuality and our relationship to our body no one talks about that mm. no one talks about that and I think it's so complex for so many women and even understanding that, you know, the narrative that we are given in society, which is really every Hollywood story, is a masculine one when we come across troubles and challenges in our life. So the hero has a dilemma. They start climbing up the mountain along the way there are bad people or bad things that happen. They slay them down and fight them and then they have an epiphany at the top of the mountain and then the world is good. And that is not the path for women. Hmm. Go through something quite different. So you referred to it as sort of going to that dark place. And so the heroine's journey is about going into the underworld and, like, as you're going down there, letting go of parts of yourself that you don't need anymore and then birthing new parts of yourself when you're down there and then learning how to be that person as you navigate the way up. And that's, that's a long journey, mm. a couple of years. I and mean, I talk to people I work with, uh, particularly mums who've got teenagers like us or, or older kids and 
how long did it, do you think it took it? Yeah, about five years is sort of the, the typical thing. And so it's really challenging for new mums. And I think, mm. why, why is this still unspoken about in this day and age? This is, mm. it's kind of criminal. And then, you know, only recently when Kimberly Ann Johnson bought her book out, I think it was about two or three years ago, about the fourth trimester, someone saying, well, actually, you know, be still, be quiet mm. for that first three months. And for a while before that, like we were all getting out and doing a lot of exercise at six weeks. I'm thinking, I wonder we've all got bad backs and mm. yeah, so yes. so much well, bad information that we've been given. Yeah. And I think that's where as our identity, our identity is falling away, which those words seem like like a positive experience but when you're in that it's so painful because the the things that used to work for you they don't work anymore they don't work anymore so I came in with my type a personality corporate upbringing into motherhood which is really basically the opposite of what you need to thrive in that because it's about it's not there's no achievement or productivity no and the push doesn't work the push is for the feminine, the push is exhausting and depleting. Mm. Yes, and it gives, it, it's sort of like you, I came into motherhood with this sense that X plus Y equals Z, mm. you know, and that's just not true in motherhood. It's so, like you said, it's not, it's not linear. It's, you know, it requires surrender. Yeah, totally. There's, there's an illusion of control that, you know, if I just read the right book or, you know, w- find the right solution then all of a sudden everything's going to be back to normal yeah it doesn't work and I think with children you're always learning them all the time right so you're sort of oh they're doing this now and it's you know they're you're always kind of especially in those first couple of years because their development is so exponential you're always in catch-up mode and so that is kind of tiring in itself Mm. um your own transition that you're going through the impact on your relationship yes um just your energy levels you know and just being so exhausted physically emotionally never mind the birth experience like that's a whole nother conversation and I'm that's going to, a whole yes I'm having I'm going to do a podcast with Nisha Gill who's a birth trauma expert but we will yeah. talk about that amazing yeah but, you know, and and that that can be really full on for women, but then again, you know, no conversation around it, and so no. they're traumatized from that as well. And yeah, it's really really tough. Yes, yes, and I feel like I feel like it's a good time maybe for me to sort of share a little bit about that matrescence mod- model that yeah. or framework that Oralee um, suggests because I think it just highlights so clearly why this. This, this matrescence period is so challenging. So if you think about it from a biological perspective, you've got neurological changes, you've got hormone fluctuations, yeah. you've got nutrient depletion because you've been growing a baby and breastfeeding potentially yeah. as well. You've got all the physical changes, birth recovery, you know, like chronic, the effects of chronic sleep de- deprivation and also stress because yeah. Oralee also talks about matrescence being a, a life stressor that can be supported like any other stressful kind of life event, uh, which I really love. So that's just the biological. 
Mm. And then you've got the, so then think about the psychological. You've got identity disintegration and rebirth. So that's like a a death, death and rebirth. You've got all of the myths, beliefs, fantasies that you have about what motherhood is and how you will mother and and that crashing down between expectations and reality. (laughs) You've got all the ambiguity and uncertainty. So you might have come into motherhood being really clear about, you know, being in control and knowing that effort equals reward and that sort of thing and all of a sudden you're navigating constant uncertainty like especially in that first couple of years as you said you know the ba- just when you nail it then they move to they a different, again. Yeah. different stage and then like I mentioned earlier the psychological complexity and the ambivalence like you can sort of both love and hate motherhood at the, you know on within moments of each other you know you can just you can just feel such expansive joy and the next moment feel just rage <laughs> you know like it's it's navigating all of these different you know different um paradoxes well, that is that in, in itself is like causes cognitive dissonance when you have a family a family system and a cultural overlay that tells you that yeah. you know, where you try and be the good girl because most people most girls are like that and and that your anger is unacceptable or like that yeah. is not a loved part of you and that it means something about you as a person. person. That you are a bad person. You are a bad you person for feeling anger. Perfectly healthy. Yes. Emotion. Yes. You are perfectly healthy emotion. Yes. Yes. And sadness. And and you know, the, the grief process that you go through because you are lose, letting go of parts of yourself. And to focus all your attention on the baby and, and you mm. know you're well, outsourcing your nervous system. I'll talk about that in a minute too. But you have to let go of some of your egocentric behaviour. I mean, there's yes. no stuff, right? And people conceptually get that, but the feeling of that inside of you mm. is is tumultuous oh, and totally and alarming. Internal <laughs> earthquake, yeah. And, yes. and because you're not getting a lot of, you know, when we're so good at we're so good at sort of band aid and post it note stuff now, and that very simple community support which has been around for a long time which a lot of us just don't have access to anymore yes and then I think mothers groups are an amazing thing but it's kind of the blind leading the blind in some sense so Mm. incredible and being able to role model but also let people know that all of the things that they are feeling are totally okay and totally welcome yes absolutely everything is welcome and that's what I (laughs) say always say everything is welcome you know this is one of those rare spaces where you can be in crying with despair and the next person is elated with joy everything is welcome because we we know and we and as we sit in circle we realize that if I'm not in despair right now and my my fellow sister is in despair I can be with her because I know what that feels like too yeah. you know and that, that for that and 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 when we can access those more challenging emotions it opens us up to be able to experience a lighter with much more presence and depth mm. yes i read this yeah great post by a male very 
evolved male the other week where he, they have a new baby in their family and he said I had forgotten because you know babies are born in the world and their nervous systems dysregulate or not regulated so that's our job right is to do that nervous system regulation and he said I had forgotten how exhausting being an outsourced nervous system is and then I was like oh I remember that yes teaching them to soothe and just having to be there and having to become yourself and having to ground yourself. Mm. Yes. and I, No one talks about that. No one's no, you know, and I think and you explain that to new parents and they go, well, you're like, well, this, this is kind of how attachment works and attunement and explain it. And they're like, oh, okay. Yes, yeah. yes. And what I'm very sensitive to, which, which is probably as a result of my own shame triggers as well, is, you know, how do you, how do you communicate that in a way that the stressed out mother doesn't blame herself for the fact that her baby isn't settled, yes. you know, like it's a, how do you do that? And, and that's where that whole good enough mother yeah, research yeah, yeah. comes in about, you know, only having to get it right 50% of the time, depending on what study it can be 30% or whatever, but we don't have to always get it right either. No, and, and, and I think, you know, back to the sort of psychological and emotional, it's is that that sort of no, you're learning on the job. Like what job mm-hmm. is more important to us than to get right than motherhood? You know, like we, it's, it's hard. That, right? it's, That's why I always laughed when I went back to work because I thought I've just had the hardest, like started job. the hardest job I'll ever have. Yes. And so it's crazy that I'm seeing it work. I just didn't take it too seriously. Like I didn't let it worry me anymore. So in some ways it was kind of liberating. Such a blessing right? It's a blessing, I think, because you go back to work and think, oh my God, get over yourself. You know, yes. It's off. not important. It's yeah. really not important. Yeah. Then I think when we come into motherhood, we're, you know, capable women, we're used to being on top of things and we're used to knowing what to do. So all of a sudden we're in this job that we've never cared more to get right. And yet we've got no idea what we're doing. And mm. there's no manual because even though there's books, <laughs> They don't take into account your specific scenario, your specific baby, your level of support, your cultural expectations, the society support that you get or don't get, you know? So, so that's, do you know, it's, I'm just ref, I'm reflecting and remembering when I had my first son, he was quite an easy baby and, you know, stuff would happen and I would read a couple of books and sort of like look at him and go, okay, I think I know what's going on here in terms of, you know, nailing those developmental surges and pretty much it worked. And, um, you know, then I had number two who nothing really. Didn't worked. read the book. The book didn't work. <laughs> the books were not helpful. I just had to put them on the bookshelf and just really tune into him because, you know, very sensitive child and just really go with his lead and just sort of watch and follow and deal with the crazy two-year-old who was really probably more of a handful at that point anyway. Still, like, still a reasonably easy baby but didn't sleep super well. And then <laughs> when he was, yeah, so we didn't have a lot of sleep for the first 18 months. And then when we were overseas and we were renting an apartment in Italy and we put them into the bedroom together for the first time and I was a bit nervous about it because I thought, we had the porter cot and I thought the big brother would try and get in there and have a cup of skin <laughs> and God knows what would happen. Anyway, um, my youngest child slept through the night for the first time. And actually then we, my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, because he was quite snuggly and cuddly. Mm. Actually, 
he just likes being around people all the time. And, you know, fast forward 13 years later and that's what he's like. He just likes, yes. he likes being in the company of others. Like he likes, he feels safe in, in the company of others. Yes. He's okay on his own now that he's a bit older. But, it, yeah, it's really interesting just those small things that no book could teach us. We just really had to pay close attention and watch and learn from him. Yes. Yes. And, yeah, probably lucky. Thank you, universe, that we had him number two because we kind of sorted out a whole lot of other stuff and got through our own neurotic tendencies of <laughs> clean. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting. One thing um, I wanted to sort of bring up, just because in my coaching community we were talking about it recently, and someone asked the question around who coaches men said, you know, all these men complaining that their wives don't want to have sex with them after childbirth. And it was very popular in our group. I think there was like at the end of the day about 250 comments on there. But the general theme was, well, basically the comments were, well, they're exhausted. Their hormones are sort of really going all over the place. But the thing that no one talked about, which we were all talking about, was that your relationship with your yoni changes a lot after you have children and in fact it's such an unconscious thing beforehand and that women start to feel different in their sexual anatomy but they don't really know if that's a thing and again unspoken about and the rhythm of their desire changes as it continues to do for the rest of our lives but again no one really talks about this And it causes so much relationship stress and the partners are like, I think, you know, if it's um, a heterosexual relationship, I feel like with some lesbian relationships I've seen, the women are a bit more tuned in and they're like kind of get it because they're considering it, okay. But the men, you know, it's not being spoken about. We've not been taught really how to talk about this stuff. The men know something's different but they're not really sure. They get a little bit triggered and needy and maybe feeling a little bit abandoned but... Mm -hmm. the pattern in how we are in our intimate life sometimes so some women come out and they have like a really big sex drive and some women are like there's nothing there go away Mm. yes come back it might look a little bit different it takes time and we just have to be patient Mm. trust and and really I think our own triggers around abandonment and loss, particularly with them with each other in the relationship, can feed off each other in a really negative. It can get a bit of a negative spiral going on, and the poor women are like, "I feel different, but I don't know why yes. or how." So, yes, and and I, I had a podcast on my podcast. Um, I had Monique Harding talking about relationships in this yeah. in these early days, and she talked about how you know in a heterosexual relationship the men need sex for connection and the women need (laughs) need connection for sex and you know and in those early days gosh you know if if we're not feeling supported then intimacy is literally the last thing on the list because we've got a constant little human on us all the time yeah so we're needing seeking that space 
Yeah, actually, one thing my good friend Sasha Cueto said to me the other week, so I recorded a podcast with her and we were, we were just talking afterwards about that I was going to have a chat to you. And she, something that was, that was explained to her by one of her teachers, which I thought was outstanding concept, that, you know, you have this internal placenta for nine months, which is this incredibly strong connection with the child. But once the child arrives... Then you have an energetic placenta with them for a couple of years, which is that incredibly strong instinct. You know that sense of knowing we just have about our kids as mothers, which never goes away, but it's so strong in those early years. And I thought, oh, my God, that is absolutely spot on. And that takes up a lot of space and energy energetically in our field, doesn't it? Totally. Yes, yes. And so, and, and it's confusing for everyone because you've got you know, in the case of coupled um, parents, yeah. you know, each person is going through their own individual journey yeah. as, well as, as well as the first time that they together have been responsible for another human. Yes. And also another thing that I've noticed, again, unspoken, is family dynamics from your own family system where you've come from all of a sudden come up when you have your first child because you've unconsciously internalised your own mother and father so that you're in a mother and father and most people have done no exploratory work around that and their own patterning so they wouldn't even be aware of it. I, I could remember a friend of mine saying her first baby that her husband was sort of saying all this stuff and she's like I don't even know who he is like where the hell is this coming from and I said oh yeah I experienced that don't worry you'll sort it out really really quickly like that's his internalizing his own parent stuff but you'll make your own value family values you make your own way of doing things but it can be really discomforting can't it oh absolutely Yes, that's right. And, you know, that's bringing in the, the social aspect of the matrescence as well. You know, yeah. we've got our, the cultural expectations of what a good parent does. We've got our family role modelling about what is good and what is bad. And we also maybe have a judgment of I'm not, <laughs> I'm definitely not going to do that or yeah. I really want to do that. And, you know, so we've got, and we've got social media, like there's just a multitude of of messages that are saying this is what a good parent is and this yeah. is what a bad parent is. Yeah. Explicit and implicit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Is there a lot of people doing work like you were doing? Like are there a lot of people studying matrescence but are it yes. getting out there in the world? Like What's, yes. your, what's your view on the landscape? Well, I, I think it's extremely early days. Extremely. Yeah. Like when you think how long there's been mothers, yeah. can you believe that we're 2021 and matrescence, like can you imagine a time when people didn't know about adolescence? Can you imagine that? Like yeah. we are in that time right now for mothers. You know, there's just starting to get more awareness and people hear when a woman hears about matrescence and, you know, there's an amazing article that first introduced me to matrescence, which is called The Birth of a Mother, New York Times. I can send yeah. you the link. Yeah, that'd be great. That, that was, I cried when I read that article because it was like, finally, I can understand 
Yeah. You know, the educate, like literally it's one of these topics that I think the education alone can create so much relief and so much self-understanding because if we can see that as a woman we're dealing with all of this stuff and we're also, unlike teenagers, sleep-deprived, having to cook our own meals, do our own washing and 24-7 caring for this little munchkin, you know, like, of course, it's challenging and it's beautiful. And, you know, when you, when you come out the other end, you uh, have the strength you can't even believe, the resilience you can't even believe. Your heart is just open wide, you know, like you, you no longer can hear about kids being mistreated or mothers being mistreated without really feeling like, depth of the sadness within you know there's so much beauty that comes from that just like any other sort of challenging situation when we come out the other side we are a new person and we would never look back we would never want to be even though in the early days I remember just thinking when am I going to be back to me again (laughs) but that's not going to be never going to be and you're so happy you're yeah. so happy that that is that that is the case. Just like a, you know, a teenager, at sometimes might dream of being a child, having the ease of playing Lego, mm. without the responsibility of an adult. You know, they're in that confusing stage. But once you're an adult, you don't really that often think, oh, gee, I'd love to be a child again. Yeah, never. I, I mean, I look at my children who are teenagers now and think. God, it's tough. It was, and I said to my husband the other day, God, it was tough being a teenager. It's just totally time. It's just yes. tough being in their bodies. As it yes. is women going through this, and I think menopause as well. It's tough being in your body through these sort of big transitions. And yes. Feeling the feels and yes. Kind of work it all out. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And you know, when you're going through these sort of existential questioning about what is my life like now yeah you know that is not that process is not real like that's not really enjoyable in a lot of ways and we I think we naturally seek pleasure and ease and you know we have all these societal expectations about being happy and being positive and Mm. you know that's and if you're not there's something wrong with you you just need to like toughen up or you need to have, have some positive affirmations or whatever. But it's through that, that process of, of that identity dying, the old identity and the, and the new. It's like new, self, new parts of self being born. Yeah, like yeah. the butterfly doesn't wish they were a caterpillar and that time, that metamorphosis time is just so, you know, like it's messy and, you know, like it's, but then you turn into a butterfly. Yeah. And, you know, the beauty of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. Real. It's no easy time. I think, you know, I always use the Inanna story, the story of Inanna to help new mums understand what going into the dark means. And, you know, when you get to the bit where you say to them, you know, well, her sister, Arashka girl, who's her, her internal self, killed her and puts her on the meat hook and then she goes up and like, where are you? And a lot of them say to me, I'm still on the meat hook. I'm like, yeah right it takes time yes it takes time and a lot of them are going back to work and they're still feeling like they're on the meat hook and they're trying mm. to 
makes sense and it's really hard they have a lot of cognitive dissonance because so many workplaces are just like oh let's pretend you didn't have a baby and right yeah she's back great she's going to be like just doing the same old stuff and particularly for high achievers I think this is Mm. really challenging because they have been in this accentuated feminine version of themselves or feminine part of I shouldn't say version part of themselves and it's been, you know, it can be really nice actually to be in that space. Mm, and a lot of them yes. might find, um, I'm like, do you know what? There's so many strengths. You've just born so many new parts of yourself. You've got all these amazing mm. strengths around connect because you've been connecting to a child and attuning to it. Like, you know, that'll help you so much when you go back to work as a leader because your capacity to, just, to be with another person in all their emotions is important mm. and you can hold space for it now right because you go there yourself so that's awesome but a lot of them they go back and you know their employees like oh they're back they can just you know be the former full throttle self work at 100 million miles an hour and a lot mm. of them are like I don't even know who that person is anymore yes and there's a there's a uh, a woman and I've just forgotten her name she talks about the fifth trimester yeah. being the re- being the return to work and I think that that again is another identity disintegration Total. because because before maybe you had an accordion of time so if you like me prone to perfectionism tendencies and really just overdoing it like before kids you, you probably can just work longer hours yeah but when you know yeah. when you've got daycare sort of timelines and all that sort of thing you you're really faced with not being able to do that not being able to overdo it you know having having to build that sense of balance and boundaries when you've never had to do that before which is so tough yeah. if, especially if people around you are expecting you to be the same yeah yeah and the boundary work you know, it doesn't come easy to some people who are oriented that way to be able to say, mm. no, I need to go right now. Yes. Um, and, and to feel okay to set that boundary is particularly hard when, you know, we have laptops and work can come home. Yes. And, no, I can't actually do this tonight because got to get kids to bed I've got to feed them I've got to do homework all that sort of stuff and it's always you know I find it humorous that so many workplaces are like why do all these women leave and I think it's obvious and in fact so many uh, there are so many women who start their own business leave and do something like we did because they can then dictate their working hours I think a lot of them work way harder than they probably did but they have the flexibility and they don't have to have that constant boundary discussion all the time. Mm. Yes, so true. Made to feel guilty. Yeah, and they don't don't have that non-acceptance of this is who you are now. You know, you're this person. They can be that person, the person that they want, that they've grown into, that new butterfly version of themselves. They can be that person. Yes, and and that that old self that maybe overdid it and was just seeking perfection and all that sort of thing, you come in with this whole new perspective and clarity about what matters. You know, like politics doesn't matter anymore, and all of that sort of thing. So you see the dysfunction. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The waste of time. Yeah. Yeah, and your output is 
is like not anxiety fueled, you know, like it's grounded and, you know, you've got that clarity about what really matters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's a calmness there for a lot of people with stuff Mm. going on. Like, well, yeah, okay, we'll work it out and we'll fix it and, you know, we'll get on with it. Yes. Um, I do remember a younger person that worked for me after I had my first son, I came back and she's like, you're always so calm all the time. Like, do you ever get like cheered up? And I said, I've just been looking after a baby for 12 months. Like that's kind of, you know, getting up at three o'clock in the morning. Like, yes, this is like, oh, I can have a coffee in peace. Yeah. I can go to the toilet on my own. (laughs) I can do that. I can sort your dramas out in two seconds. There's nothing to be worried about. Um, I don't have to juggle 45 things at once. You know, I don't have to. Yeah. I remember when I had my second son, my eldest was having that sort of jealous time and I was breastfeeding and I looked up and he just looked at me with a bottle of milk and poured it on the floorboard. Like, look at me. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. All the worst stuff at work just. No, it falls away. The care factor is, you know, is much lower often. Well, you know, but then we can be sitting with, well, but I really want to do a good job. So how do I sort of balance this how do I do both and is it possible for me and you know can I do everything I I feel like with women too just just thinking about what you said about education you know women respond very well to information right and whether it's a podcast or um, you know a book and just being able to talk about this and not have something Right, like the shoulds. I don't like the should, the word should. I have something rammed down their throat, like you should be doing this. And they, yeah, they respond well to information and just, you know, translating that through their own worldview, considering their own context, what's going on for me, how is that showing up? How, you know, does that show up in my life? Can I sort of talk about that to my partner can we experiment with that seems to be a better approach for most women is that your experience yes yes I I think that's that's definitely true certainly true for me but if I think about my own experience with information and also um, many of the women that seem to come to the motherhood gathering as long as that information isn't used as another stick to beat ourselves up yeah you know, like I, I, I've written an article about my reflections on ten, after 10 years of motherhood and, I, and I, I really try to sort of have this as the theme underlying the work that I do with mothers is that my biggest regret is how I treated myself mm. through the journey. That is my biggest regret because mm. I can see with the benefit of hindsight beating myself up constantly, constantly assessing myself against, you know, what I thought should be the right way of doing of doing motherhood um, that didn't take me any closer to being present and just showing up as 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 I wanted mm-hmm. and what I what I try to really um, I guess put out there with the women that I work with is that your relationship with yourself is as important as your relationship with your baby yeah. or your child yeah you know, everything, like the nervous system stuff, all that sort of thing, it all happens naturally if we can really support ourselves and our nervous system and being able to notice when we're feeling stressed, being able to notice when the inner critic's really loud, how do we connect back into our body and how do we 
turn towards ourselves rather than turning away. And I feel like and feel our yes. comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like unfortunately for me, it's like I've become quite an expert in in self-violence, which that sounds like a really, you know, dramatic word to use. But when you read back to my diary, you know, there was so much criticism there. Mm-hmm. So much criticism there. And then I would back to the information. I'd I'd read. Well, I my nervous system and the baby's well, the baby's crying. You know, I had a very two sensitive babies that colicky and silent reflux and everything. So then I blamed myself mm. that that this is why this is why they're struggling. They're struggling because I'm struggling, mm. and and that's why I really just feel so passionately now that we need to balance the scales you know there's so many people that talk about the babies and child's well-being which of course is essential like I'm not saying that that's not important but the woman's well-being is as important because she is she is the facilitator she is the asset and I say protect the asset (laughs) you know she is the asset you know systemically she's the half in the family right literally my neighbor who's wonderful always says to me just remember if mum's okay everything else functions yes yes and can we as a society as a family as a woman really just feel that in our bodies that we are so important and so fundamental and that you know can we can we protect us, our nervous systems? Can we support ourselves? Can we turn towards ourselves with love and understanding and patience instead of like judgment and all that sort of thing? Like that's to me, you know, that if that's what people take out of the motherhood gatherings, that just makes me so happy because I know that that those women, they're just so important. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they are so important. And I and I know you've brought this up with me before like a lot of the postnatal check is it's physical like in those first six weeks and then there's sort of a little you know that test they did have you got postnatal depression yes I'm like well surely there's something better than this because there's some people who are just sort of not really functioning super well but they're probably not depressed but they're Mm. they're just not functioning well yes you know, that not functioning well tone can go on for a really long time. Yes. And can we just drop the labels of postpartum depression and anxiety and just say that, you know, this period is challenging. What can you do and what can we collectively do to support you in being able to go through this rite of passage? Yeah. Even that there is a rite of passage. Like I think we've lost all the well yeah just the concept is not like we know about adolescence like you said before but we don't really know about this we don't do not understand the midlife and menopause transition at all no. yeah it's just a really hard time yes time for a lot of women and I'm big on the community support that's why I think your motherhood gathering is such a great thing and how women can come together in sisterhood to just be there for each other and just learn to witness it. You know, sometimes you just need to be witnessed. You just need yes. to be like, do you know what? Uh, this is going on for me and I just I just need you to witness me and you can reflect back if you want. But that's yes. I, don't need, I don't need any suggestions. I don't don't need, give me advice. I don't want no, to. I just need to be witnessed. That's it. 
Yes, and, and one of the beautiful things that happened last year is I ran a, a women's circle that brought together women in different stages and different seasons of motherhood. Oh, so you had the new mums that had newborns and then you had um, mothers with older kids. And, oh, my gosh, it was just so beautiful because as the woman with a newborn is sharing about how incapable she feels and how, you know, much she's struggling then the woman with the older children's heart just opens and she is there holding this woman. Mm. And likewise, the new mum is hearing that, you know, teenagers are no walk in the park (laughs) (laughs) and that, you know, yes, this is actually a journey. Like there's no end point where I can say everything's easy and, you know, like I think that there's ease at different stages and, you know, like, gosh, my life feels so much easier as a mother now. but it also has challenges still. So there's no like finish line, I think. And that's what was really beautiful for the new mums to see that. There's no destination. It's just a journey. Yeah. Yes. And that's okay that the journey, you know, what you said before, like because we're such a production, tick the box, achievement oriented sort of work culture that flows and bleeds into home life. And actually it's not like that. That's that's yes. quite helpful at all, being in that, well, I call it the summer season. Like we need our winters, we need our springs, we need our downtime, we need quiet. Yes. There's yeah. no short-term solutions. There is no short-term solution. <laughs> and, 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 you know, this is not a destination. We're not driving toward somewhere. We're just being, just in being mode. Mm. Yes. It's just not a concept that a lot of people are familiar with because we're so far from removed from that. And I feel like part of going through these rites of passage is actually Ellen and I talked about it last week, is just how can you be okay? Like it's okay where you are now. Yes. Now is perfectly okay. Yes. And even if you're suffering. That's okay okay too. You know, of course it doesn't feel good. Of course you wouldn't want to be, you wouldn't choose to be in suffering because that's naturally like it can be a painful experience. But through that suffering, you learn more about yourself. You can connect more deeply to your heart. You learn what's, you can, you can cause correct if you feel like you've gone off course, all that sort of thing. And, And as a society, we don't, we say that you've got depression if you're suffering. Yeah, well, like think about grief, right? Like I was writing something the other day and so, you know, we can experience grief when we lose a loved one, when we go through a divorce, when we go through a life-threatening illness, which is something I've experienced, you know, having had cancer, when we experience grief when we go through these rites of passage. Mm -hmm. The DSM says, you know, grief should only last for two months and then it's considered depression. I don't know about you. But most people I know that have lost someone really close to them, sometimes it takes them two years and it comes in waves. Like there's no time limit on it. Mm. I know. No, so if it's classified it that way and pathologized it, even for a young mum to be feeling grief, she feels like she shouldn't be feeling grief. Mm. But actually with grief, the beauty of it is to... To let it come, you kind of got to be in stillness and just being mm. with it, and then it just comes through. And it'll, it, you know, it'll take time, 
but it leads you to gratitude. Yes, and it connects you with love. Connects you with love. Yeah, and it leads you to gratitude and it connects you with love. Yes. And sometimes a love that you maybe weren't able to express. Yes, that's right. And grief can be present and so can joy. It can, it can exist together. Can it doesn't together. have to be one or the other. Yeah, yeah. And that in itself is really challenging for a lot of people that I can feel both of these things and and sadness and anger and happiness and excitement. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And how can we learn to be with everything, you know, and, and not, not judge ourselves or make meaning from experiencing different emotions. And that's definitely been my journey because I have, really um my identity has been the happy bubbly positive one the people pleaser that's been my identity and so that's what has been falling away in the last couple of years it's like can I also welcome grief and you know anger that's maybe never been expressed for 42 years you know all of that sort of thing and how can I feel safe in my body to to experience some of these emotions that I maybe had meaning about before, that meaning that it meant that I was weak or that I was, there was something wrong with me or whatever, Mm. but dropping the labels, dropping the resistance and just allowing with tenderness and. And learning to witness it in yourself, I think. Observing. Yeah. Yes. Being with it and then witnessing it and saying, wow, what was that? Well, that was interesting. And it's a very human experience. Like everyone experiences all of these emotions, whether they know it or not. (laughs) Oh, dear. All right. I think we might wind it up. What would you like to leave listeners with today? What would be the sort of one thing that you would, to any new mums or any people that are listening who have a person in their life who's about to give birth, what would be the message that you would want them to go away with? I think it's coming back to my, what I said earlier about really building your relationship with yourself as you journey through this beautiful and challenging and stressful and everything in between roller coaster that is matrescence and and learning about matrescence as well so that you can help yourself to make sense of what's going on Mm. it's not personal to you it's actually a thing that we all experience yeah it's a thing for sure if people want to get in contact with you how do they find you probably i'm on instagram at the motherhood gathering that's where i mostly do my social media and also the website themotherhoodgathering.com okay so i will put those notes in the show notes down the bottom and I'll put a link to that article that you mentioned about matrescence as well that you're going to give me yes thank you so much it's been so lovely talking to you I always love talking about all the stuff that no one wants to talk about that's what oh I know countercultural. I love talking to you and I'm amazed because normally (laughs) that conversation we had that was nearly three hours (laughs) so we did well we did well to stick to the time (laughs) yeah we can't put a three-hour podcast out (laughs) (laughs) thank you Kelly for inviting me on it was just such a joy to talk to you you are so welcome